0: Hi, everyone. We are back. Uh, We're resuming the DTs. Uh, We just returned from Potomac House. So, well, today we're going through Isaiah 57, 14 through 21. And as a way of background, most scholars divide the book of Isaiah into two primary sections. The first is chapters 1 through 39, and the second is 40 through 66. And this is divided according to the historical context. The first part is the pre-exilic. Uh, where Israel was conquered by Assyria in 722 BC, and the second part of Isaiah is the post-exilic, after the fall of Babylon in, in 586 BC. So there is a time gap between chapters 39 and 40, around 140 to 160 years, depending on depending on when you date it. So after Judah falls to Babylon and Jerusalem is in ruins, the Jews are then exiled or scattered and mostly the best are deported to Babylon so it is this period of the exile that Isaiah 40 through 66 is placed.
1: One of the themes found here in today's passage is God's patience and forbearance and really a desire to reclaim his people although clearly they don't deserve this. Uh, We read in verse 14, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction. And it's reminiscent of Isaiah 40, verse 3, where it reads, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And I think this is a window into God's heart where he wants to build up his people, remove the things that led them into exile in the first place, those sinful patterns that cut off their relationship with him. And how will he do this? By clearing the way, so that people would hear and respond to the word of God in obedience. Uh, what, and when it says, remove every obstruction from my people's way, um, what does that mean? What is it that obstructs us from receiving God and his word? Um, I think it's the typical ways sin obstructs us, where we question God's goodness to us. We are suspicious of his intentions. Um, and though it doesn't make sense, given all that God has done for us, I think uh, we often refuse to receive him because perhaps things have not been working out in our life, um, uh, the, the reality of how things have worked out versus our expectations. Um, and so th- those are all kinds of things that prevent us from receiving him. I think even things like our insecurities, which lead to self-absorption, our desire to prove ourselves and just all of these things, um, uh, these are the kind of things that God wants to remove every obstruction from his people's way. This is God's heart. He wants to build up his people again so that the way is clear of anything that hinders obedience. And I think this is a picture of his grace and his heart to restore and build up his people.
0: Verse 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Now, what is cool about this verse is that God, he is described as high and lifted up, poetically described as one who inhabits eternity. The same God is also the one who dwells with the contrite and lowly. In other words, This is God's heart is to be with us sinners, broken as we are, that he might deliver us, revive us. So this is his heart of incarnating into our space to be with us. And it reminds me of Exodus three, seven through eight, when this God who is high and lifted up also was able to come and hear the cry of his people in Egypt and know their sufferings. Or in Philippians two, where Jesus emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's the cross, the gospel that reminds us that this was the way that ultimately cleared the obstruction from our path toward him. God who is high and holy and we who are lowly and sinful, that the only way that a holy God would have touch points with an unholy people would be through the cross of Jesus. So because God saw our condition, and loved us, we were given a path to eternal life. And I think that fact never gets old. Whenever we find ourselves affected by our moods, darkened by our situation, and affected, affecting even our view towards God, we can always go back to how God had mercy on us and saved us, and at our bottom, though He didn't have to, He came to be with us, sent deliverers and, and people to help us so that we would be saved.
1: Verse 16, for I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. This is reminiscent of Psalm 103. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. And this is good news. Um, If God was a God who rightfully doled out justice and stopped there, then none of us would be here today. But God is shown here as much the expression in that I will always be angry um, because of how though Israel had stubbornly resisted him and defied his commands, clearly God was hurt by that rejection. And yet at the bottom, he is gracious and merciful and this phrase, he will not allow our spirit to grow faint. In other words, he will not allow our discouragements over the reality of our sinfulness get to a point where we can no longer respond. He knows our spirit will grow faint. He knows we lack resilience. He knows we need a savior. And so, uh, I think people tend to often misread the Old Testament picture of God as this capricious, whimsical, angry God who is out to punish his people when they fall short. And this is a gross misinterpretation, misinterpretation of God's intentions. God is intensely loved, and he expresses his dismay when we sin, and that um, dismay is in expression, expressions like we read in here, but ultimately, his heart is that uh, he will not always be angry, and he understands our need for a savior.
0: In verse 17 it says because of the iniquity of his unjust gain i was angry i struck him i hid my face and was angry but he went backsliding in the way of his own heart so on the surface it seems like his anger is born out of a defect in his character but all forms of anger are not necessarily that there is appropriate anger righteous indignation towards injustice we see that even in our world with social and racial injustice so how much more god's response to our sins that anger is appropriate we who have uh, deliberately undone what he has tried to forge in us by seeking our own autonomy and stubbornly refusing to acknowledge our sins. And yet he is not out to destroy us, as Sunny was saying. He expresses this. And then and then he says in verse 18, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and in his mourners. And he says, uh, I will heal. I will lead and restore comfort. He wants to bring our lives back to health he wants to heal our areas of brokenness and as I thought about this this means especially those areas that are not easily repairable those tired old scripts such as pessimism or cynicism and negativity that cause us to act out in immature ways our deep insecurity or our past baggage what good news is It is that he says, I will respond appropriately, but that won't be the final word. I will heal and will restore people back to life. So we need to trust in him. And then there will be peace. Verse 19, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Sometimes the picture we get is of the wicked is that they are violent and grotesque people, like things growing out of their face, but uh, the way the Bible depicts them are, are like here, that they are like the tossing sea, restless, and they cannot be quiet. And I thought about why. There is this steady drumbeat that characterizes people's lives that remind us that Time is steadily running out, which causes them to be restless. Life, like in the previous Psalm from yesterday's DT, is judged by the span of years here on earth. So there is no peace for the wicked because of the reality of death, and they have to live in that anxiety that life is going to come to an abrupt end, and they better make the most of it. So let's find genuine peace, rest for our soul, only in Jesus, in the gospel, with eternity in mind. We can claim this promise because of our knowledge of who God is. He is our judge but also that he is merciful and gracious, not wanting to exasperate us, but to redeem us, heal us, shepherd us back to the way of peace. And he has the authority and power to protect us from all that ails humanity. We can rest in the knowledge that we have eternal life and that he will forever be our guide. Amen. See you next time.
1: See you next time. Have a good day.